0: Well, let's go to Second Peter. Uh, I am uh, elated, if a little bit, if a little bit sleepy. I even forgot to put my contacts in, so I don't know who any of you are. Uh, it's all just a fuzzy haze out there. Uh, but uh, really excited to get in the Lord's word as we're finishing Second Peter. So, so here we are at the end of Second Peter, down into verse fourteen, this last section here of uh, of this letter. And uh, Peter's been calling us to remember that theme of remember and respond. But but now at the end of the letter. It's not remember and respond to what God has done. That's that's what chapter 1 is about. But remember and respond to what God is going to do. Namely, that God promises that he is the Son will return and with him uh, come a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where all sin is gone both around us and inside of us. And so that's what we're that's what we're expecting and then so so how do we respond to that? Remember Peter said you live lives of holiness and Godwardness, that that's how you receive. If you really want, if you're really desiring the Lord's return, how do you show that desire? Not by buying the newest prophecy chart, uh, not by figuring out all the symbols and signs and all the the real, the chief way that we wait and hasten the Lord's return uh, is through holiness and Godwardness in our own lives now. Uh, and we saw him call us to be, to be diligent, to to hasten, to work quickly, to pursue with all our might these things. And that's where we're at. We're at, we're at verse 14, uh, this last section. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's word as, as he's saying, look, if we're waiting for all these things, uh, this is the type of people that we should be. Therefore, beloved... Since you're waiting for these, that's the you just mentioned in verse 13, waiting for this new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we... We are not having to ask you for this hope, but we are waiting expectantly for you to fulfill this hope that you have promised us. And so, Father, as we're waiting, may we labor, may we hasten to be found by you without spot or blemish and at peace. Father, may we long for these things to be true in the life of of our church and in our own lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so that's where we are. Look down at verse 14. Uh, that's the verse that we're, we've we been breaking down now for a couple weeks uh, as we were like really plowing through. And then this verse is packed with some with some stuff to look at. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And we talked about two weeks ago that spot or blemish thing. Uh, and last week we started looking at that, what I think is really an unexpected ending for most Christians, the importance of the idea of being at peace. Peace. So that's how verse 14 ends. So we be without spot and blemish, which we expect, but also what? And at peace. And and we saw last week just how important peace is for the Christian life. And I and I encourage you if you if you miss that. I, in having the baby time, forgot to upload the sermon. Uh, so if you weren't able to catch it on Facebook, uh, make sure you go back and see the importance of peace for the Christian life. Because like we said last week, we tend to think uh, of, of peace. We tend, to, we tend to believe that we should pursue holiness. Like that's not unexpected. For him to be saying, hey, since you're waiting for this stuff, make sure you're found without spot or blemish when Christ returns. That's, that's how people normally talk about the return of Christ. What's Jesus going to catch you doing sort of stuff? Uh, you, don't wanna, you don't want him catching you with any spot uh, or blemish. But what was more surprising to us in that verse 14 is that he says, make sure that Christ finds you not only without spot or blemish, make sure he finds you at peace. Normally, we talked about how we see peace more as a consequence than something we can pursue. As if Peace just sort of happens when you live right. That, that's, that's how I normally thought of peace as I, was, as I was growing up or as I heard it in the church. It was like, what you do is you pursue holiness. And if, if everyone's pursuing holiness, what will the church be? At peace. And we saw last week that Paul told us the other way around sometimes. That it's when we're making peace, when we're sowing seeds of peace, that what do we harvest? Righteousness. You want to harvest righteousness? You sow seeds of peace. It's not just sow righteousness and peace comes. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians, you sow peace and uh, and righteousness comes with it. Peace isn't just a consequence then. Peace is something we're supposed to pursue. And so that's what we're looking at. How do we pursue Peace, if peace is so important, as we saw last week, how do we pursue it? If Peter says here we're to hasten, as, and remember that word hasten means to work quickly at, to be diligent, to get it. If we're supposed to hasten peace, how do we do that? How do you hasten peace in the church? How do we hasten it in our own lives? If peace is that important, how do we get it? How do we pursue it? Well, the first thing we have to ask is, what peace is God talking about here? What peace is he talking about in this verse? Because that's a a very important question. Because what type of peace God is talking about is going to influence how you get it. So, for example, if if you just think that the idea of peace is just one sort of thing, that peace means one thing and it means the same thing throughout Scripture, there's not different areas of peace, then you're going to get into some pretty confusing parts, right? You're going to get Jesus called the prince of what? peace. And yet what does Jesus say in his life? I came not to bring what peace, but a sword. And so then you're like, did, was Jesus not talking to Isaiah? Uh, did he not realize what was going on there and Jesus coming? And then when Jesus talks to the disciples, what does he tell the disciples right after the resurrection? Peace I give to you. And then the disciples are like, well, you just told us you weren't bringing peace. Uh, so if you don't understand that peace is, is, is contextual, in the things that it's talking about. So when the Bible talks about peace, there are a few options. Peace with what? What type of peace? Uh, a few focuses. Are we talking about peace in the world? Are we talking about peace with God? Are we talking about peace with another, with one another? Are we talking about you know, internal peace? Different verses talk about each of those different types of peace. And of course, the context of the verses will let you know what type of peace the Lord is talking about. All of those are different, and and Scripture guides us in how to pursue each one of those in different ways. So if we're to pursue peace, it's important for us to understand what type of peace the Bible is talking about when it calls for us to pursue it. Because you pursue each type of peace a different way. Well, the first one we want to talk about, and really get out of the way in many ways, is peace with the world. Specifically, peace with the fallen world. Okay, that one is one we're not talking about. So scratch that. Uh, so that's not, that's not the piece. Because here's the idea. It, it is not our job to make peace with the world that is at enmity with God. You know, it's like last week. Our job is not to create some sort of, of ceasefire. That, that's what Christ does. That's Christ's job. And he did it, like he said, with a sword. So when Christ says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword, that's what, that's the, what he's talking about. I'm not coming to make peace with this fallen world. I'm coming to kill it. And I'm coming to slay it. Uh, and he does. He comes and he conquers it and he stomps on the head of the serpent. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says he didn't come to bring peace. Uh, his job was to conquer. And just, just really not in the way many of the Jews were expecting him to conquer. Not that that peace isn't important. Because we saw last week, and we'll see again this week, that Christ is going to bring a world of peace. A peace in the world. A worldwide peace. This fallen world will eventually be at peace through the work of, of Christ. But that's not what we're talking about when the Bible says to pursue that. The way you pursue that is just by the, the preaching of the gospel. And then Christ changes hearts. Uh, and as his kingdom uh, expands, then, then that peace expands with it. So that's not the one we're talking about. Let's talk about ones we can pursue. The ones that we, the, that we are looking at here. first one is peace with God. Peace with God. In in some ways, this is, you would say, the most important peace that we could be talking about. It is the cornerstone of all the other types of peace. Without this peace, peace with God, you cannot have any of the others. Now, this peace does not come from us. So the first thing we've got to understand is this peace, peace with God, comes only through the work of Christ. So, for example, it is most clearly seen in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so easy to be a pastor. I can go, this peace comes only through Christ. Why? Because Romans 5.1 literally just says this peace with God comes through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in Christ's work, Jesus brings us peace with God. If you know Romans 5, Romans 5, and really the book of Romans with it, is going to tell us that we were, before Christ, we were enemies of God, that we hated him, we were at enmity with him, we despised him, that God's wrath was was sitting over us. I mean, we were in the bad part of Psalm 11 uh, that Zachary read. But in Christ now, as Romans 5 says, in Christ... Instead of wrath, instead of hate, what do we find? Peace. This is why Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1 is going to say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it is through the work of Christ that you and I have peace with God. Paul calls this uh, our reconciliation, that we are reconciled to God. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul actually calls this the message of reconciliation, where you and I, though separated from God by our sin, are reconciled to him. How? Through the work of Christ. that Christ reconciles us. And what is that like? That, the only other time that word is used, uh, that word reconciliation is used, it's either used to talk about us and God or between a married couple who's fighting. So if you're wanting to understand what is meant by the idea of reconciliation. Think of if you're a spouse or you know of a couple who has ever argued, because you have never argued with your spouse uh, and needed to be reconciled, right? So when you've got a couple that needs reconciliation, that's what's going on with us, Lord. We we have separated. We are separated by our sin, but God, through Christ, reconciles us to himself. Look at 2 Corinthians five, eighteen through twenty. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This is a great thing about the reconciliation. Normally when people are fighting, the other person is waiting for that person to reconcile it, right? I will be reconciled, but as soon as they do this, then everything will be okay again. But what does God do in his grace? In his grace... to God. So in Christ, God is reconciling us to himself. And and so we then take that gospel of peace with God and we proclaim it to the world. We tell people, look, you can be at peace with God. You can be reconciled to God. Now, one of the hardest things to do when you do that is convincing people that they're not reconciled to God already, right? That's one of the hardest parts is people are like, but things are already fine between me and God. Uh, so sometimes the hardest thing is letting them know, no, God tells you they're not. Uh, that he's written like a letter and put it in your locker uh, and said that things are not okay. That you can know things are not good between you and God, but they can be through Christ. Not through you, not through you doing something. We can call out you, be reconciled to God. Well, how do I do that? Run to Christ. Run to Christ. That's how we find peace with god and that, that peace is, is done by god he gives us faith he reconciles us to himself the things that bring peace are things that god does romans chapter 5 verse 1 it is through that faith that god reconciled that god gives us peace second corinthians chapter 5 it is he that reconciles us to himself So how as Christians do we then pursue that peace? Well, a Christian can pursue that peace with God that is already ours. How? By resting in that peace. By trusting in that peace. By believing that that peace is there and is genuine. For a Christian to pursue this type of peace is to rest fully and faithfully in the work of God on your behalf. To trust his work to redeem you and in the success and surety of that work. In other words, it is when God says there is peace between you and I for you to say, I believe you. I believe you. And to trust that. To not think, no, no, I've got to do more good, and I've got to do this to make him happy, and I've got to do that, and then maybe God will be satisfied with me. Then what are you doing? You're making it about your work, and then God is happy with you. Peace with God comes through trusting in Christ's work. Not Christ plus you. Just Christ being reconciled in what he has done, the faith that he has given you, the reconciliation that he has brought between you and God. So that's the first type of peace, but that, that is not the type of peace that the Bible is normally talking about when it tells us to pursue peace. There are not a lot of verses about pursuing that peace because that's a peace that Christ just brings to us. We just rest in it. The verses about pursuing peace are typically about pursuing peace with one another. And as you know, this has become sort of a trope in the church, right? Churches that aren't happy, churches that are fighting. Church, this is, this, this is, but this is not new. This is not just something that's happened with the modern church. This is why it was all the way in scripture from the very beginning. Not God's not like, hey, in 2000 years, churches are going to start fighting. So I need to put that down now. Uh, this is something that the church has needed to battle since the beginning, but it's something that we have in Christ and that we must protect in Christ. So let's talk about peace with one another. Although we saw that the foundation of, of any peace is Christ and, and being at peace with God through the work of Christ, the Bible does call us to pursue peace, to pursue specifically peace with one another. But what we're going to see is that ultimately, even this peace comes from God. Peace between us is not something that you and I create. It's something that comes from God. It's something that God does in the gospel. The gospel creates peace between people, between one another. Not just peace with the world, but peace between person and person. Not just peace between the world and God, but peace between each other. So take, for example, Isaiah chapter 2. I'm talking about the coming Messiah and the kingdom that he's going to bring Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So, I mean, we've known since the beginning, since the Old Testament, I mean, wars and rumors of wars uh, have been something going on in the world since the beginning. But when the king comes, when Christ brings his kingdom, what is part of that kingdom? What does he bring? What does it say there in Isaiah 2? When he comes, he brings an end to warfare. He brings a reign of peace where where people can put away their swords anymore. They don't need it. Jesus Jesus is the one who abolishes the Second Amendment, right? Uh, You don't need it anymore. Uh, He does away with it. You don't need a sword anymore. I'm going to take my sword. Let's make it a plowshare. I don't need a sword anymore. Because those things aren't needed, because in his kingdom, remember, a kingdom of peace, he's going to bring peace, not just with him, but peace with one another. And so it's not surprising, then, when Jesus talks about being a child of his kingdom, that he mentions the importance of peace. So in pursuing peace, you are being a child of this kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed are the what? Peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. It's it's not just the peaceful. Not just being peaceful that shows that you're a son of God. It doesn't say blessed are the peaceful. And there is a word for peaceful, right? He said, blessed are the doers, the makers of peace. The peacemakers, the peace doers. That's how someone who is making peace, who is pursuing peace, who, as we're going to see, is eager to maintain peace. That is a person who shows that they are a child of God. So to show how important is it to pursue peace with one another, pursuing peace with other Christians is how you show that you're a Christian. Being someone who makes peace, who does peace, peace is an absolutely essential part of the Christian life. And that's just going to become even more clear in the verses to follow. So when you get to the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the letters of Paul, we get passage after passage, including one that we looked at just a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember when we were talking about race and racial reconciliation that, the, that comes through the cross alone? P- we get peace on earth, that comes through the cross. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Remember what it said? For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew-Gentile, right? Separated, separated from God, separated from one another. But in Christ, he has made us one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do this? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, In the place of the two so making what making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility so christ makes peace between two separate parts of this world between two peoples he turns them into one christ works that peace in us he works peace with god and then works peace with one another it breaks as he said that wall of hostility Not just do we not need need swords anymore. We don't want them. It's not just that God is. So so Isaiah 2 is not just saying that God's doing some police action, right? Where we still don't like each other, but we don't need swords because we've got God. Right? So I don't need a sword because God's going to protect me. It's not just that. God's not just policing the world. It's that God has changed the world. You don't even want a sword anymore. You don't want to harm your neighbor. It's not as he won't let neighbor harm neighbor. There's no desire in our hearts to harm one another. The hostility is gone through his work in us. What remains is now peace. How crazy is this peace? He says it makes us one, reconciling us both to one another in the cross. And so when Peter calls for us to pursue peace, to hastily speed peace, It is a peace that we're not trying to build, but a peace that we are called to protect. You and I are not just creating this peace. Our job is to protect the peace that is ours through the work of the gospel. So when we talk about pursuing peace and hastening peace, it is a job of protecting peace and that's what paul gets to so paul by the time so he's got ephesians 2 talking about this peace that comes to us in christ when he gets to ephesians 4 look at ephesians 4 ephesians 2 god establishes peace through the cross we get to ephesians 4 now we're called to pursue peace and he says this pursuing peace is a necessary part of the christian life ephesians 4 1 through 6 i therefore a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here Paul says, part of, part of walking worthy, part of walking worthy of the Christian call, He says it's to be eager to maintain the unity brought by the spirit, right? We saw that in Ephesians 2. He just talked about that. That unity brought in Ephesians 2. Someone, uh, a worthy Christian walk is someone who is eager to maintain that unity. Who who struggles to keep that bond of peace. That peace is part of of the christian walk which of course isn't surprising because we just saw peter talk about it in in first or second peter chapter three that it's part of our walk and and not just peace not just peace that would that would fit with our normal idea that that peace is a is a consequence you've either got or you don't he doesn't just say hey uh, a christian will have peace he says a christian will be eager to maintain peace In other words, that's like what Peter's saying. You can see the similarity there. A Christian is hastening, is pursuing peace. It's not just a consequence to the Christian's life. It's something that the Christian fights for, fights to maintain, fights to keep. So part of our Christian walk, part of our worthy Christian walk, is being someone who eagerly works to maintain peace. Peace that comes from where? Peace that's given to us by the Spirit we saw that earlier in Ephesians 2 but it's also this peace that bonds us together in the bonds of peace that the, that the spirit bonds us that word for bond is the is is the word for ligament the thing that holds bone to bone and is a great word for Paul to use because he's talking about our life as a body and so he uses body words here. He uses medical words to describe what we are ligamented. We are held together. This bone cannot separate from this bone because it didn't like that bone. Why? Because there is a ligament that holds us together. We are bonded in peace through the spirit that we maintain. We are, we are held. Why can one body not just fracture? Because it is the spirit that creates a bond, a ligament of peace that holds us together. We must be eager to maintain that unity. We must be pursuing, hastily pursuing to maintain, to protect that peace. Paul actually uses this language of bonding uh, again in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, uh, 12 through 15 uh, is where we'll look at. If you remember, this is a section where where he tells the church what to put on and what to put off. Uh, But before that, in, in verses 5 through 11, he tells us the things to put off, and they're not very peaceful things. What's interesting about the things that we're supposed to put off, many of the things that we're supposed to put off are things that create trouble between people. Things that are not, when things are not peaceful between you and someone else. So if you look at Colossians 3, 5 through 11, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's very much like holiness, right? That's, that's, that's put, this is the, if you're putting on holiness, you got to put off these things. So if you're wanting to be without spot and blemish, that's part of it. But also look at the next group that he gives us. In these two, you once walked when you were living them, but now you must put them all away. And look at the words, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So look at these things anger, wrath, malice, slander, all those things. Why do you put those off? He says, because that's the old you. That's the old self, and we've been now united in Christ. The the, the things that once separated us, as he says, circumcised, uncircumcised, Greek, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, whatever, those things are gone. There is a unity between us that comes from Christ, and so now what do we do? Now he gets into verse uh, 12 through 15. What do we do? We let peace then rule. So how does a Christian pursue peace? You let peace rule in your heart. So he gets down to verses 12 to 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then what? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. You hear that connection with Ephesians 4 there at the end of Colossians 2, the calling, the binding, the oneness. Because we've been called to live holy, because, because we've been loved, what are we supposed to do? He says, notice, and notice what we put on. It's, it's a list again, just as the list of what you put off was very much about things that would not make for peace between one another. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and the like. The things that we're supposed to put on, many of them would make peace between one another. Would show that you're eager to maintain that bond of peace. So we pursue peace in our relationship. So what does he say? You put on compassionate hearts, kindness. You're humble. You're meek. You're patient, you're, you're bearing with one another, you're forgiving one another. You're putting on love that binds these things together in harmony. There's that word binds that the same, is the same as in Ephesians 4, that ligaments us together. That pursuing these things, he says, is letting the peace of Christ rule our hearts. I mean, peace is ultimately a heart battle for us. Who's going to be king of your hearts? Who's going to rule? If Christ is ruling in your hearts, then peace rules there. You cannot have someone who has Christ ruling in their heart, and their heart is always at war with everyone. Always at enmity. Always angry. Always wrathful. For the Christian, if Christ rules, then peace must reign also. Paul says that's what he's called us to. This is why, of course, it's going to rain because he says, of course, this is what's going to happen in our hearts. If peace is going to rain, peace will be in our hearts because this is what Christ called us to be. He called us to be one body. He ligamented us together. So the idea that we can be walking the Christian life and fragmented from one another is crazy because that's not what God called us. And that's not part of what God was making in the gospel. He was creating a body of He was not just saving you. He was saving us. He was creating his bride, and his bride ain't just you. It was us. So if you recognize the importance of Christ bonding, one of the works of the gospel is to bind together people who are in no way similar except Jesus, then you'll recognize the importance of peace being in the body of Christ. And you'll be eager to maintain that peace. You will let peace rule in your hearts when when anger wants to rule. Or wrath wants to rule. You really, you really want to knock someone off their high horse, right? I just wish something would... No, it's always just says malice, right? I just really wish something would happen to them so, they'd, so things wouldn't be so great for them. Nah. That's not letting peace rule in your hearts. And that's not what you were called to do. And so you see in these New Testament letters like Romans chapter 14... Romans chapter 14, 19 through 20, so then let us make, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. I mean, without, without going all the way through Romans 14, I'll simplify Romans 14 through the first part of Romans 14, don't judge one another. Don't, in other words, don't force a brother to be like you and then judge him when he's not. That's the, the first part of Romans 14. Second part of Romans 14, but also don't put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. Don't force a brother to be like you and then cause him to stumble as he tries to be like you instead of trying to be like, like the Lord. And, and how does Paul sum up those two goals from Romans 14? How does he sum up? If you're going to sum up Romans 14, you know, uh, you got, should I eat and drink? Should I not? Should I tell them they can eat and drink or should they not? You know, what should we do? How does he sum it up? He sums it up with a, a pretty good thing. He says, hey, pursue peace. That's how he sums up. Should they eat or not drink? Should they do this or not do that? What do I do? Should I, you know, and we've got this going on and he thinks he can and I think he can. What, what should we do? You should pursue peace. Pursue peace. The word pursue there is, is actually a word that's normally translated in your New Testament. It's persecute. But it'd be weird to, be, to say persecute peace. But the idea behind it is what? The idea behind that is that you are hunting something down that is hard to catch. That's the idea behind it. When he says pursue peace, that's why it's translated persecute and other things. You are going after it. So when they are persecuting the Christians, this is the word that they use. They were pursuing them. And that's what we should do for peace. That's what the Christian is called to do in peace. Not to pursue to be right. Right? Which is often, I will, man, if I think you're wrong on a subject, I will research the scriptures to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. But I'm called to pursue peace. I'm called to pursue to make peace with one. That's supposed to be what drives me. Not It shouldn't be driven by the desire to be right. Now, if I'm right and someone's wrong, listen, this is my obligation to tell them. And as most of you know, I will tell you. Uh, but my pursuit my passion cannot be that my passion my pursuit paul says to sum up that must be to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding not destroying that we're to go after it that we're we're to we're to pursue it even when it seems without reach that's what we're supposed to do with peace we we cannot accept that we just aren't at peace a Christian can never accept, well, I'm just not at peace or there's no peace between us or, or whatever. We cannot, if there's no peace there, then pursue it. Go after it. We will follow it, find it, hunt it down, harass it until you have it. Pursue peace. What should we worry about? Peace. That's what we should worry about. That's what about building one another up, not destroying. That should be our desire. Okay, so we've got all these. These are good passages about pursuing peace, how important it is to pursue peace and all that. But how do you do it? Right? So when it says, okay, you've got this conflict, Romans 14, what do you do? Paul says, well, this person's right. Then you read this. He said, well, you know, this person could just be the weaker brother and this. Well, then what do I do, Paul? Pursue peace. Okay, well, what about we've got this this disunity here and this is going on. You'd be eager to maintain the, the, the unity of the bond of peace, unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You'd be eager to maintain that. But how? How do you hasten peace? There are actually a few passages that give us some ideas on how we pursue peace in our relationships with one another. And the first one is a passage we looked at last time is in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Shows their wisdom, not by their, let's say, just by their knowledge of Scripture alone, like how many verses they know, but by their conduct. That's how someone shows their their wisdom, by their conduct, specifically by their humility. Who's wise in understanding? Let them show it by their conduct, in the meekness of their wisdom. And what does that not look like? Well, for lack of a better word, it looks like things that are not very peaceful. Looks like non-peace. So what does he list? Jealousy, selfish ambition, what should we instead see in a person's life? What does he list uh, when he gets down to verse 17? What should we see? We should see purity, peaceableness, gentleness, someone who's open to reason, someone full of mercy and good fruit, someone who's impartial, someone who's sincere. That's biblical wisdom. And that's when we then get to that final verse where he says, you want to be righteous? Well, what do you do? You sow peace. You sow these Things. How do we pursue peace? You sow seeds of peace. These things that make for peace, which makes for righteousness. God says, if you remember back in Proverbs, God says he hates those who sow what? Among the brethren. Who sow discord among the brethren. He God hates those who sow discord among the brethren. And so it's not surprising then James is probably thinking about that, uh, or the Lord is making James at least write it. Who knows which one came first there? Uh but the Lord is at least making him write here. Hey, look. I hate those who sow discord. What do I want you to sow? I want you to sow peace. And that will lead to a harvest of righteousness. So if we're gonna be hastening peace, like Peter says, these are the things we need to be sowing in our lives. These are the seeds of peace, the purity, the, the peaceableness, gentleness, reasonableness, full of mercy, and, and good fruits, and partial, sincere. These are seeds of peace that we need to be sowing in our life. This is how you help make peace. You're not be don't be jealous. Don't have selfish ambition. Does that sow peace? No, that sows weeds. That sows non-peace. That is not wise. That's not wise living. It's not going to bring a harvest of righteousness. Instead, sow these things. If you sow these, then you'll be sowing peace. And guess what you're going to harvest? Righteousness. Or how about 2 Corinthians 13? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. So, so Paul, summing up here, his, his second letter to Corinth, which when we preach through 1st Corinthians, you know, how are you going to sum up all that's going on in Corinth and, and all that mess? It's like stuff that the Gentiles don't even talk about. Uh, how's Paul going to sum up his correspondence with the Corinthians? What would he leave them with? He leaves them with what? Finally, rejoice. I mean, so there's the, the God oriented call there, but then the others are all others oriented, specifically oriented toward how you treat one another. So we rejoice, but then what do we do? We aim for restoration. We restore anyone caught in sin. You restore them. That's your goal. That's what you aim for. You comfort one another. You agree with one another. You live in what? Peace. And the God of love and God of what? God of love and peace will be with you. So our job is to live with one another in peace. Think about what all that he's gone through in 2 Corinthians, all the divisions, all the struggles, all the unholy living. And what does Paul tell them to do? It's important for you to live in peace. Because what does Paul realize that part of when they live in peace, what is going to be some of the harvest of that is going to be righteousness. But when we look at peace, peace is not passivity. And this is where I think people get off. Because people think that if you're going to sow peace, that just means that when someone's doing something, you just kind of watch them do it and don't say anything. And the Bible is going to show us that, no, sowing peace is not just being passive when people are doing things. It's not just going, well, I'm okay with the Lord, and so I'm just going to sit back here and, I mean, that's not going to harvest righteousness, but at least it's not my righteousness. And so everything's okay that pursuing peace is, is work. It's not just, it's it's not just, I remember, I remember someone that was sinning, uh, and it was obvious and everybody knew it and they'd been doing it for a long time. Uh, and I was like, man, we've got to address this. And someone told me, let's just love them to Jesus. And I was like, or we could read our Bibles and do what it says. Because what, because what is, because was that very loving to that person? No, because in truth, everyone talked about that person, about their sin behind their back, right? And said, well, they're just a, uh, that's just who they are. You know, maybe the Lord will fix them in eternity, but I'm not touching that right now. Uh, Like, let's just be at peace. And that's why I said it's so sad that so many churches, they're not at peace. They're just a ceasefire. So many churches are just Korea, right? Just one side promising not to shoot the other side. And we look at that and go, man, we are at such peace. I mean, that group hates that group, but they don't bring it up at a business meeting. Uh, and we think that's, that's like peace in the church. But that's not peace. Peace sometimes means work. That when we see it, as we already saw, we already saw it in that previous passage, didn't we? Peace, peace seeks restoration. It seeks comfort. It agrees. But Paul says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So he begins, and this sort of peace sits at the crux of both of these verses, and he begins in, in verse 12 by saying, look, respect your pastors. Uh, uh, even when they have to admonish you right that's it's easy to respect the pastor when he's like not coming to you and saying hey look you can't keep living like that like everyone's like man i love that pastor the pastor's like hey uh how you doing i didn't invite you over for dinner like i know uh respect the pastors even when they have to admonish you esteem them highly love them because of the work they're doing and uh, let me tell you people if you want to make that a life verse i'll get behind that uh that's a great one. But then what does he say? How does he sum that up? Be at peace among yourselves. So peace between you and and, and the elders, of course, that you should labor, that you should pursue, that you should let your pastors shepherd you in peace. Hebrews thirteen is gonna bring up the same idea. But the piece is not just directed to the elders, and I'm not just going to focus on that, although it'd be fun to do, right? Just talk about how you're supposed to be at peace with me and let me do my mine and Zach's job super easy. Uh, that'd be a, we could do a whole sermon about that. We'd love to do a series, but you guys are actually pretty great about that. Uh, and so you don't need a lot of admonishment in that. But what else does it say? Be at peace among yourselves. That it's not just directed toward your elders, but toward one another. That you do what? That you admonish those. Who who are being idle. You admonish those who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You encourage those who are faint-hearted, who are weary. You you help those who are weak, but you're patient with, with all of them. I love that verse because that's a great verse because pursuing peace isn't just ignoring what's going on. Peace cares, as Paul said in in, in Romans 14, peace cares about mutual upbuilding. And so pursuing peace is, see, is not just saying, okay, I'm not mad at my brother, and so everything's okay. Pursuing peace is saying, I want to make sure my brother's okay. That's how you pursue peace. So peace cares about those things. So sometimes the pursuit of peace means you have to admonish someone to do, to, to do what they know better. Sometimes it means you have to encourage those whose, whose hearts are at war, and they're faint-hearted. And you need to say, look, just keep, keep up the fight. You're doing great. I know you're weary and I know you want to give up, but don't. Sometimes peace means just carrying a weaker brother, just carrying them. But it always, it always means what? Being patient. So when you, when you, when you put all of these verses together, we, what do we see as the call for the Christian pursuing peace with one another? Let's, let's put them all together for us. All the things. Well, the first is what Peter says in First Peter 3. You need to hasten it. So hasten peace. You need to go hard after it quickly. That means you don't just go, well, we're not at peace, but we'll deal with it next month. That word hasten there means deal with it speedily. So you speedily get after, after peace. You hasten peace. You're a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5. Be a peacemaker. You're you're part of a a worthy Christian walk is being eager to maintain peace. So you must protect it. Protect peace. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Peace must reign. So let peace rule in your heart. Colossians chapter 3. Pursue peace. Romans chapter 14. Make it your pursuit. Hunt it down. Don't be okay that you don't have it. Pursue it. Be, be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial, sincere, as James 3 says, sow the seeds of peace. Sow seeds of peace constantly. Don't just wait. Don't just wait for war. Right? And think you're gonna harvest this when the war comes. Sow the seeds of peace. Or how about 2 Corinthians 13? Restore, comfort, agree with one another, live peace live it in our lives peace isn't just something again that comes up at moments of conflict peace is our life so we're constantly restoring we're constantly comforting we're constantly agreeing with one another that's the life of peace peace is a life not just not just how you handle a particular conflict peace is how you live and the last thing we saw in first Thessalonians 5 is that peace is not passivity Peace is not passive. So so just because you're not mad at anybody or just because you're not in conflict with anybody doesn't mean you're at peace. You need to actively be pursuing their good as well. You need to be willing. If you want peace, sometimes peace means you've got to admonish people for doing what they know they shouldn't be doing. And sometimes you need to admonish them for not doing. I mean, in that case, in, 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 in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's admonishing them for not doing what they should be doing admonishing the idol and if there's a brother who's idle it would be easy to say well peace means i don't say anything but peace actually goes to them and admonishes them it encourages those who are faint-hearted. it helps someone who's weak but it's patient with everyone if we're going to pursue peace these are the things that the bible lays out in multiple books And in multiple ways, the Lord lays out for us the importance of peace. It is not surprising for the God of peace who says his children will be makers of peace. It is not surprising for that God to then list over and over in his books. Now, this is how important peace is. And this is how you pursue it. This is how you sow it. And this is how you reap it. So, Christian, are you pursuing peace Is it ruling in your hearts? Is it reigning? Then you will see these things at work there. And if it's not, pursue it. Hunt it down. Sow the seeds of peace. And you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. For our good and for God's glory. Who knit us together. Who bonded us together through Christ, through the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Let's pray.